0: Welcome to Core Parenting Conversations. My name is Kaylee Kukla and I've spent more than a decade supporting children and families with challenging behaviors. As a mom of three, I appreciate how overwhelming and exhausting parenthood can often be. So I'm taking all of my professional knowledge coming from over a decade of work experience with my master's degree in early childhood special education and combining it with real mom life, not just the theory to change the dialogue around parenting. We'll have powerful conversations and you'll gain practical tools that will inspire you to get to the heart or the core of your child's behavior and make simple yet impactful changes. So let's dive in together. Okay, welcome today. I'm joined today by Alyssa Blask. Campbell, a teacher, parent, and emotional development expert with a master's degree in early childhood education. She is the co-creator of the collaborative emotion processing method and the wonderfully helpful, amazing social platform Seed and Sew with the mission to change the ways adult experience children's emotions so that we can respond with intention. One of my favorite words to raise emotionally intelligent humans. The next big step in her mission, which I'm so excited to bring to you all today, is her book release this month, Tiny Humans, Big Emotions, How to Navigate Tantrums, Meltdowns, and Defiance, another word I really like to talk about, to raise emotionally intelligent children. And we get to hear all about it today. So I'm so excited. Welcome, Alyssa. Thank you. I'm so jazzed to get to hang out with you. (laughs) <laughs> and talk about some of my favorite words, like yeah. intention and, and defiance. In, yeah, <laughs> defiance and all the regulation that goes in on that. So tell me about your book. How did this even come to be? You've been yeah. working on it for a while, right? long time. Yeah, so we <laughs>
1: we created, we call it the SEP method collaborative emotion processing. Um, my colleague Lauren and I and we researched it across the US in conjunction with a university in the Boston area and the whole plan was like we'll research it, collect data and then write a book on the method. And so we started Doing the research ended in 2018. So we started writing, we collected data first. We started writing in 2019 to really start to break this down. And then, yeah, four years later, here's a book. We, (laughs) We also love intention. And one of my like real like pet peeves is, if I feel like I'm doing something, I'm just like adding noise. And so when we were writing the book, I wanted to make sure like we're adding value and not noise, that it's something that I needed as a teacher and need as a parent. And that is different from what I had experienced
0: or found out there. Okay. So this podcast is aimed for parents, but like the teacher heart in me is gravitating towards what you just said about helping teachers in the classroom, because Holy smokes! Are you finding overwhelmingly? I'm hearing that like classrooms right now, because children in general are so incredibly dysregulated. It's it's. Do you hear that? Do you see that when you Absolutely. go into classrooms? Like, what's going on?
1: <laughs> yeah. So I I think it's twofold. So we have actually a professional development program. I got to create my dream PD program, and we have a series of workshops, and then we have it's all hosted on an app, and we. Uh, have OT, SLP, psych, PT. And so teachers can ask questions at any point, And we have experts there to support them. And ongoing, it's, again, I just keep creating what I needed as a teacher. Yeah. And it's been really, really dreamy. And we are across the country and in Canada, uh, serving thousands of teachers now. And so we've gotten, I have a lot of firsthand like access to this right now. Like what are teachers experiencing? I think it's twofold. I think one is the burnout and exhaustion that we as teachers have been experiencing and then how hard it is to co-regulate and be the regulating force. And the other is, I think the more we've talked about emotional development and social emotional learning and regulation, I feel like there's this idea out there that if you do all these things, kids will be regulated. And the reality is that unless you live with a hormonal imbalance no one is regulated all the time and it's not the goal but if the goal is that that like oh if I do all these things these kids will be regulated whether you're a parent or a teacher then it feels like oh my gosh this is so overwhelming these behaviors are so huge everyone's dysregulated all the time versus yeah kids cycle in and out of dysregulation all day long so do we as adults
0: that when you said that homeostasis popped in to my brain of when you're talking even like medical terminology, right? Our body is constantly striving to find the state of homeostasis or regulation, but it doesn't spend a lot of time actually in that state, right? How think of how often during the day do you have to go to the bathroom? Are you hungry? Are you sleepy? Are you I mean, we can physically make that connection so easily. But this idea of the emotional regulation piece, I think it feels really overwhelming to not just children, but to us as adults.
1: Exactly. Well, I think so many of us as adults didn't grow up in environments where we were allowed to feel, taught how to be with hard emotions. And so now we're trying to do this with kids and we're like saying the things, but in practice inside we're like, it's supposed to go away, right? Like I was just chatting with a parent the other day who uh, is in this back to school time and her daughter's having a hard time. And she was like, I just really want her to be happy and have fun at school. And I was like, totally. I bet she is sometimes. And she's not going to feel it all the time. Just like, I'm really happy and I have fun at work sometimes. Yep. Not every moment's enjoyable. And exactly what you were speaking to there of the like, Sometimes I feel hungry or I feel tired or I have to go to the bathroom. In our work, we separate sensory regulation from emotional regulation, looking at the fact that we can't do the emotional regulation part when our sensory systems are dysregulated. And so when you do feel hungry and you're like, okay, I'm like trying to have this conversation or I'm in this meeting at work or for a kid who's like, I'm trying to work through this hard feeling, but I need a snack. It's way harder to work
0: through the hard feeling when you need the snack. Oh, oh wait, do you mean hangry? Because Correct. <laughs> my kid, I kid you not, Alyssa, just my, so I have an almost nine year old. He's going to be nine in like a month and a half, literally. So we had this whole plan yesterday. They were home sick. And I was like, you know what, we're going to go to the juice bar because I take ginger shots and turmeric shots is like my immuno thing. So it's like, we're gonna go have lunch at the juice bar, so mommy can take juice shots. Just to clarify, juice shots. And you <laughs> do, you Kaylee, do you? right? <laughs> no, no, they were ginger and turmeric. And um, he goes, oh, okay, mommy, I hope it's soon because I'm starting to get hangry. I love, and I love. Pause, and I was like, did my child like? We want to, and we can talk about this, like the introception that took, like mm-hmm. the awareness of his own internal body physiological experience and then I get goosebumps and then being able to label it and then tell me before he flies off and has this massive meltdown because when he was three what would have happened he would have had the meltdown totally but now he's almost nine and he's able to proactively articulate it to me.
1: Which is incredible because a lot of us as adults can't do that. And it doesn't mean he'll do it all the time, right? Like it doesn't, this is the other thing is like, I think sometimes we're like, oh, this kid has this skill and then we start to expect it all the time. And we're like, why aren't they tapping into it? And what you just described here is so much of what we 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 talk about it in the book, but what we're looking at here is this idea of self-control. I can notice what's happening inside, I can regulate it, and then I can access words and tone and behavior in a way that's pro-social, right? The ability to access self-control, to choose your words, to choose your tone, to choose your actions requires self-regulation, which requires self-awareness. You can't regulate what you're not aware of. And so for him to notice what's happening inside oh, maybe my heart's starting to race, or I'm noticing these different sensations, my belly's grumbling, etc. I know that means I'm starting to feel hungry. And now I'm feeling a little agitated and on edge, I'm going to regulate, I'm going to find my calm so that I can communicate about that is incredible. And so often we start at the end, we're like, how do we teach kids how to (laughs) tell us what they want. You know it, right? Like, you know, you're not supposed to hit your sibling, you know, you're whatever. And so use your words, tell us instead of hitting without backing up to say, what does it feel like in your body when it's building? What do you notice inside? We had this little guy in our research and he is featured in the book, but he was maybe three or four. And there was a lot of like hitting, kicking happening. And what we started with was just, we would observe him. And when he started to like, his shoulders would go up, his voice uh-huh. would get loud. We would pop in and we would say like, oh, wow, your shoulders are up to your ears and your voice is so loud and your hands are in fists. You sound so frustrated. And then we would step in. We're not expecting him to do anything here. We would step in between him and whoever was right next to him. We would help him regulate. And then when he was regulated and able to communicate, we would work through what was happening. And what happened over the course of this was that he started to say, my voice is so loud and my shoulders are up to my ears and my hands are in fists and I'm frustrated. And so he started to notice those cues. And then still we're stepping in because now he has the self-awareness part and we've been practicing this co-regulation, but now I'm stepping in and saying, oh my gosh, you do sound frustrated. What helps you feel safe are calm when you're feeling frustrated and we've been practicing these tools together and now I'm bringing him into like what is that so that he can start this process and sometimes he knows and can access and sometimes he can't so we're doing this over and over and then it got to the point where he could say all those things he could notice what was happening he could regulate and
0: then he could make a different choice instead of hitting and kicking and this was about a six-month process I was gonna say how much time did that take because one, two, three, four, five, even ten times is not enough. Like repetition, because no. we're we're really we're truly building brain architecture here.
1: Yeah, you're building new skills. Yeah, yeah. In exist. the same way that, like, yeah. Sorry. God. no I just like I, mean, I think if, if 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 we walked into a classroom of kids who had chapter books and they knew how to read them and there was a kid who didn't know the alphabet I'm not gonna be like here's a chapter book figure it out good luck no. nor am I gonna provide them with the alphabet five times and be like Now you've got it, right? You can read this chapter book. Like, no, I'm going to meet them where they are and say like, all right, let's start with the alphabet. And then we're going to work on these pre-reading skills and we're going to get to the chapter book. But if we're coming in and they don't have any body awareness, self-awareness part of this yet, we're starting there and we're going to end up at self-control, but it takes time to build these other skills that get us there. That's the chapter book.
0: Yeah. When you described a child who couldn't read being given a chapter book, I mean we both as teachers, I know we've seen that happen before when somebody doesn't know a child can't read and it's it's really heartbreaking to watch a child try and struggle or try and mask so hard to meet that demand if it's an when it's an academic demand. then the school system we have so many supports set up, you know, like interventions, reading interventions, and okay, let's back them down the the let's go back to phonemic awareness and build all this stuff. And yet that that same compassion doesn't exist so often for kids with social emotional, but this is the part that, so you're talking about so much coaching on the adult part. And in this sense, it was like research and what you and I, when we spoke, I think last week or two weeks ago, which was like the impetus for this inner or this conversation. When parents, and you said it already, parents don't have these skills. We're most of us, and I'll throw myself in the mix. And I have a lot of resources at my disposal. But like this weekend, my husband went away. I had two sick kids. I had a newborn. I had no help at the night. He was up four at least four times during the night. I mean, I was under resourced. And guess what? My regulation was crap my tone with my kids. I mean, it took Alyssa and this is like a real moment for me. We were sitting at the kitchen table and we were actually talking about Harry Potter because my eight-year-old's super into that right now. And we were talking about a mean teacher in Harry Potter. And he goes, yeah, mommy, like you. And he was joking. And I go, oh, buddy, you're right. I have been mean. And I am so sorry. And he goes, No, 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 I was joking. You're not mean. I'm sorry. And I was like, buddy, no, you can say I've, I feel like I've been mean. And I'm so sorry for that. I'm exhausted. And I needed to find a way to help myself. So let's this under resource when we're teaching these skills to these kids, how do we teach if we don't have them? And then if we don't have them, how do we get them? <laughs> like, yeah, is totally. there a shortcut Alyssa because I've been doing this for years can I Amazon this can it be here in two days uh <laughs> yeah can I can I Doordash this please
1: <laughs> yeah wouldn't that be nice I, yeah. I think first and foremost is grace for ourselves right that like oh, you yes. aren't mean but you had mean behavior right that like yep. that's the difference yep. between shame and guilt and We should all experience guilt sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's a really helpful Mm -hmm. emotion for us. It helps us know when we are in alignment with our values, when we're not in alignment with our values. And it's really powerful. Shame is the like, I am, right? So I am a mean mom, or I am a mom who yells, or Mm -hmm. I, the I am is really detrimental for us. And the problem with the I am from an emotional or growth perspective is that you can't grow out of it then, right? Right. There's no evolving out of the I am or being able to like treat the I am versus the like, I am a patient human, or I am a kind human. And I was being really impatient today because I was under-resourced, right? Like then it's not about you. It's about, oh, I live in a culture where I'm under-resourced, where we are expecting parents to do all of these things by themselves that when you're in a single parent household, you're doing it all by yourself, all of the things. And when you're in a two-parent household and your partner travels or is gone, you're now doing absolutely everything by yourself and we aren't even supposed to do it just the two of us, right? So really looking at like, what is at the root here, I think can give ourselves more compassion and like, oh, I'm doing more than I am designed to do. <laughs> uh, and so it makes sense to be under resourced. I am currently 30 weeks pregnant and running a <laughs> business and parenting a two and a half year old and launching a book and like doing a lot of things. There's a lot of demand. And the way that this works is that when the demand is greater than the capacity, it equals dysregulation. So when our demands, our task demands, which sometimes could be like, I I literally cried the other day because I had to do the dishes and I just like looked at them and I was just like, I don't have it in me, you know? And I just cried. And because my capacity was lower than my demands, there were too many demands on my plate. And so I think with us for parents, like first starting with this and giving ourselves grace and being able to say like, it's okay to cycle in and out of dysregulation. And we can look at like, how do we both, are there demands we can lower? Are there areas where we can increase capacity to see decreases in the dysregulation? And then when we enter into the dysregulation, what tools do we have? So for me, looking at the demands, one thing I've recently stopped doing is folding laundry. I'm just putting it in a drawer. Look at just, it's a demand that I'm not taking on. I cannot, just like, where can I outsource demands, right? And sometimes it's as small as that. Another one, I got a second toothbrush and toothpaste and put it in the downstairs bathroom because it sounds so silly, but the idea of like getting back upstairs to brush my teeth before I take my kid to school was like adding this other thing and then he's coming upstairs and then he's playing in his room and we're trying to get out the door and whatever. And I'm like, sweet mother of pearl. And now I'm yelling at a two and a half year old because I had to go upstairs and brush my teeth. So looking at like, where can we just lower some demands? And then capacity. So for me, capacity has looked like All right, what can I do to nourish myself in small ways that right now I don't have a spare 45 minutes to work out. I just don't have it in my calendar if I want to do these other things, like grow this human and parent this two and a half year old and whatever. So where can I increase capacity? For me, one thing I started doing a couple months ago actually was not taking my phone into the bathroom. I found myself like scrolling or answering work emails or whatever. And so now when I go into the bathroom, I take deep breaths. And I'm peeing all the time because I'm 30 weeks pregnant. And so (laughs) I'm just like, these are ways where I can increase capacity. And it sounds so dumb and so small. And it's so impactful to like take away a little bit of that dysregulation, the screen and add in like, I'm just going to breathe. I'm going to find pockets of slowing down. I also a huge one for me for capacity is asking for help. And this is so hard it's so hard. I mean, we Mm -hmm. shame kids for it all the time. This idea of like learned helplessness, or we don't have, they know how to zip their jacket or put on their shoes. And when they ask for help with it, we're like, they know how to do this. We're like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I know how to do a lot of the things in my life, but I still need help. Right. Like sometimes I can't access all of them. And so when I'm looking at capacity, asking for help has been huge for me. And it has meant like vulnerability. I Mm -hmm. have just like, Reached out to my neighbor the other day and was like, can I bring Sage over for 15 minutes because I'm going to lose. Can I swear on here? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to lose my shit. And I need a minute. And she was like, yeah, drop him off. She's got four girls. I know in my head I'm adding to her stress. So that comes up for me of like, she's already got four girls. I don't need to throw another kid into the mix. He's not going to be jazzed that I'm walking away. But I know that I'm going to be better able to show up for him and for myself if I can just have 15 minutes away from him for a minute. And so I texted her, dropped him off for sure. He cried when I left and I still was like, that's okay. Like he's allowed to cry and feel upset about this and I'm going to take care of myself. I have texted my mother-in-law who lives near us and have reached out a number of times lately of like, hey, any chance you can make us a meal this week and drop it off? Like that's so hard for me to do, the idea of like asking for help. And it's something that for me just increases my capacity so much and sometimes reduces
0: demands. Like now I don't have to make dinner and I have more bandwidth. This core conversation is made possible through Kaylee's Core Membership Program. If you find yourself soaking up the information in this podcast and others, but still grapple with questions like, how do I get my kid to listen? What happens when I try that? And it doesn't work. Or if you just crave like-minded and like-hearted parents who are also on this wild parenthood journey, you found your place in CORE. I take the theories and strategies and I'm constantly adapting them and applying them to real life through monthly deep dives, handouts, workbooks, and live Q&As. So if you want to take your parenting with intention to the next level, or you just need more support, check out CORE at www.kayliekukla.com C-O-R or head to the show notes for the link. I feel, Alyssa, like I'm connecting so strongly to what you're saying because my third was born and needed to be in the hospital for five extra weeks. And the hospital he needed to go to was two hours away from our home. And my boys were still in school, like this was beginning of May. So they still had a month of school left. I was forced in a position of needing help. Like there was no, I literally couldn't be in three places at once, you know? And that experience taught me so much about how to get comfortable in that vulnerability of asking for help. And just this weekend, so this was the first time my husband has gone away, Since having the baby, it's the first time my kids have been left for an extended period of time by a parent since we were leaving them every other day to go down to the hospital. And I literally like texted, I would have never done this prior to. And I was like, hey, Nicholas is gone this weekend. Do you think you could come over one night this weekend and pick up dinner and just help me with bedtime? And she was thrilled, too. She did yeah. it. She was actually one of my kids' teachers. And then we became friends through that. And she, her kids are grown. And so she loves coming over and holding a baby for an hour. Well, she holds a baby for an hour. I can put my six-year-old to bed. And he wants me more than, you know, so it was just... Yes. She read him a story while I nursed. Like, it was just one of those. And I listened to, and I'm blanking, he's only world famous, and I'm blanking on his name. And I listened to the podcast you did with him. Gabor Mate. No, no, other Elf, one. Elfie Cohn. He was talking about how the village refers to supporting the mom and oh. not the child.
1: Oh, God, what is his name? He was, Gabor's, Gabor was one of his students. Right. Oh. He both had baby brain. <laughs> Again. He's Canadian. He's an older white
0: man. I'm like literally. Gordon, to- Gordon Newfeld. Newfeld, thank you. My gosh. But he said, he said, this village is supposed to support the mom more than it is support the children because your children need you more. And I I had this moment of like thunder struck me, you know, lightning Mm -hmm. struck me and I heard thunder. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's it. Mm -hmm. I it's for me. Like they need to come over so that my capacity is either increased or the demands are decreased. That's it. This is something how hard I, is that?
1: It's so hard, and it's something I actually like. I felt like I was really good at in the newborn stage, and then got less good at as I got older. Like in the newborn mm-hmm. stage, I in my head could justify, right? Like my body just grew a human. I just pushed it out. Mm-hmm. I'm leaking mm-hmm. fluids from all holes. Like I right. need to be able to rest and whatever. And so I had truly no problem not cleaning my house and like having people pop over and drop off meals and pop laundry in and whatever. Like I felt like I was doing exactly what I was supposed to do. Like, yep, they're gonna help take care of the house and me and bring me food and I'm going to take care of my body and this baby. And then mm-hmm. we got older mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, I could do this now. Right. Like I could do. And then it just kind of snowballed and it got to the point where it was like, oh no, can I do this all? Sure. Yes. And Probably every day I'm going to cry about the dishes at some point, right? Like that is true. If I want to show up as a kind, regulated, compassionate human for myself, for anybody, then I need to either lower demands or increase capacity. And I have started to look at like, what are the things only I can do in my life? And then what are the things that fall outside of that? And in this season, I'm just really leaning into like asking for help. I texted three friends the other day in a group text and was like, I have a target order that needs to be returned. And I can't find the time in this next week to do it, but it keeps looming on my to-do list. If anyone's going to target this week, can you snag this bad boy and just drop it off? And literally two days later, someone was like, yep, go and buy your house. Going to snag it. I'm going to be at target later this week. Awesome. Thanks. All I had to do was ask, right? Like they're going anyway. And it's this like leaning on each other. Actually in the last part of the book, because it's broken up into three parts, part three, we talk about what it looks like to have a village and that so many of us mm-hmm. have gotten away from this. And it is so hard in this culture of like, we're all supposed to do it alone and we're supposed to do it by ourselves. And that our quote village is like either paid for or we only see them for like playdates, right? And, like, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm... I said to my best friend the other day, I was like, I have no interest in a scheduled one hour play date that does nothing for me. What I have interest in is like you showing up as a hot mess on a Saturday morning saying like, I am gonna murder my kids and I need to have a minute and like drop them off. And like they play in my backyard with my kid and myself or my husband, you get to have a beat. We have coffee and hang out. I see your messiness, you see my messiness and we're just in life together. Let me put this scheduled play date on the calendar and then I'm like, okay, I have to prepare food or I have to clean my house or I have to whatever. And I have one hour where I'm gonna connect with another adult as my two-year-old most of the time asks for my attention. Like that
0: does nothing for me. No, same. I'm like, I don't want to try and connect with my peer when we're on a play date, because I get frustrated that we get interrupted every 10 seconds by one of our children, you know, and the time does come, I will say now with like an eight year old, because I have like now the whole spectrum of early childhood development in my house, right, is there comes a time where like I texted a mom and I was like, hey, I need my kids entertained after school. Can I bring your kid home with me, like pick them up all together and just let them run? And she was like, yep. And then her sitter, because she needs, again, Paying for part of a village, she needs yeah. an after-school sitter. Um, the sitter came and picked him up when you know he needed to go to taekwondo. But it worked because honestly, that took something off of my plate. I didn't have to feel the need to entertain my children or make sure they were engaged because at that point, my little one had just come home from the hospital and he needed a lot. And he, he needed you. Yeah, a and lot for me. At right.
1: that point, maybe the eight-year-old needs a playmate, and right. it can default to you, but it can also be outsourced to a peer. Yeah. Right. So looking at where yeah. we can create that. And now in the dysregulation part, because like I said, everyone experiences dysregulation mm-hmm. and it's not the goal that we don't. A- Allowing it right, so we're on the way home from school the other day. I picked Sage up from childcare, and he is in the back seat and he's going, I'm, I'm, mom, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling, mama, what I'm feeling. And I was like, Oh, buddy, I don't know, but it's okay to not know, like you can just feel it. And so then he's back there and he's crying kind of on and off, he's feeling, and I'm driving, and I was like, Yeah sometimes days are long and I feel it too. And just let him feel. And he had his little like slothy, stuffed animal he's snuggling. And he has a little like magnet doodle thing that he could like color on. Yeah. And eventually he just started coloring. The crying stopped and it like slowed. And I was like, whew, I wonder if you were feeling overwhelmed from the day. And I didn't, I'm not expecting a response. I was just like, I sometimes feel overwhelmed from my day too. And then just paused. And then he was like, Mama, I drew a turtle. And I was like, Great. Like, right? On like, with they, wife. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's like, Cool, yeah. taking it in, but like, I'm going to keep doing this. But just allowing ourselves to be in dysregulation that like, When he's in the backseat and he's like, I'm, 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 I'm feeling like it's not my job to make him stop right now. It's not my job to make him stop crying. It's not my job to regulate him right now. My job is to let him know it's okay to feel dysregulated and that he can be in it and move through it. And that I can handle that, that it's not too scary and too big for me. And I think the challenge is that we got to do this with ourselves first. It's why part one of the book is, it's nerdy and it's about us. We dive into the us part of this, of like, what's happening in our nervous system? What are our triggers? What's coming up from our childhood? And what do we do about that? And then part two, we're like, and now let's dive into the kids. Everyone comes for part two. Everyone's like, tell me what to do with the kids. And I'm like, I can give you a script all day long. And Mm -hmm. the reality is, if inside you're still fuming, or you're mad at that child, you can quote, say the right words all day long and it's not gonna have an impact of connection. It's not gonna
0: sound authentic and we're gonna
1: see zero traction
0: here. It's so interesting. I just made a real, so my husband going away for the weekend, unlocked, I think a lot of repressed or stored, let's just say stored, Trauma um, and emotions from what our family went through for five weeks sure the summer. You know, I was in the zone, right? Just get stuff done, take care of everybody. Was not expecting the emotional a bomb that happened in my house, particularly from my six-year-old. Super fun when those sneak up on us. <laughs> you know, in my head, I'm going, "Whoa!" You know, like where is this coming from? And he just unloaded everything of like. Dad, yeah, he's not here to tuck me in and I miss you. And then the next day we were on a walk and he brought up Miami where the hospital was. Then my brain went, oh, but he just needed to get it out to yeah. process it. And then it was like all of a sudden when we, he was on the other side, he was able to talk about it a little bit more. But that urge we have, I think I don't, I have it to fix the emotion mm-hmm. and learning how to just kind of not and trust that they can handle it yeah like you've got this and I'm right here like witnessing it yeah. and we can handle it too that takes a huge amount of I call it emotional bandwidth yeah with like just awareness and stamina and <laughs> regulation on our part too it's a tall order
1: it's huge and it like if we want to get nerdy for a second, like stems from unresolved trauma from ourselves, right? That Like Uh any perfectionism or any, like, I can't be with this feeling and I feel like I need to fix it or make it go away. The cool part about trauma, and this is something that Gabor Mate actually breaks down in the myth of normal that I really appreciate, is that trauma isn't the event. Trauma isn't the thing that happened. Trauma is what's my body's storing of this? What's my body's experience of this? That Mm -hmm. if we're saying like, oh, the trauma was when I was young, personally, I was allowed Mm -hmm. to have feelings, but behind a closed door. Come out Mm -hmm. when you're ready, yada, yada. And so if I look at that and I'm like, well, I can't go back and change that experience, then I feel helpless. I'm like, well, I just have to live with this trauma. But when we can see the trauma as my body's reaction to that now of, okay, now when my kid's having a hard feeling, I want to make sure they're never alone, that I never leave them, that they always know that we can work through this together, that they know they're safe to feel. And then I end up in this, like, I'm going to over process. I'll never leave them because I'm worried about separation anxiety. I'm going to react in my parenthood that that when I look at trauma as, oh, that's my body's reaction, then I can heal that, that I can work on. I can't change the past. I can't change the way that I was parented. What I can change is how my body remembers this and what it does going forward. And that for me is just like empowering, like, okay, I can play a role here. And so for me, like that separation anxiety is a big one. And this came up with back to school when he's like new teachers and having a hard time and saying literally every day on the way to school, mama, I feel nervous. I not want to go to school. I'm going to cry when you leave. I'm going to feel so sad and I'm going to be alone. Those were things he was saying. And I'm like, sweet I'm gonna mother be alone. alone. I'm going to be so sad. I'm going to be alone. Sometimes he'd say, I'm going to be so sad, and you're not going to come. And I'm like, oh my, I want to quit my job. I want to quit my life. I want to like not have you experience this, right? Because now everything inside of me is that trauma response. Uh-huh. Now everything inside of me is like, I know what it felt like to be alone when I was having a hard feeling. And I never want him to feel that. And so I end up swinging this pendulum to the other side, if I then parent from that place. And so the exhaustion is in the healing, yes. the exhaustion yes. is in oh shoot, this is a me thing coming up. And I have to notice it and I have to regulate and I have to remind myself, he is safe to build new attachment figures. And that if I as a kid had someone pick me up from school and say, wow, let's chat about this morning. Let's debrief what happened. Let me let you know that you are not alone in processing your stuff, that you don't have to be alone in your room when you're having a hard feeling, that I can handle it. If I had somebody who responded that way after I had a hard feeling, it would have been a game changer for me. And now I get
0: to do that for my child, not prevent him from having the hard feeling. As you were talking, I was like, gosh, I feel like you were talking about that pendulum and how quickly it can change. I mean, there's this place where I think we can easily go when we look at maybe our childhood trauma and what we experience. And like, I never want my child to experience that then we can overcompensate almost. I mean, like, I'm going to rescue you every time you feel this way. I'm not going to put you in any position to ever feel anxiety or ever feel, you know, we didn't have a choice. Like we went through this thing, like there was no choice. We had to go through it as a family. And when he was having these big emotional outbursts, I was exhausted. I mean, a solo parent, you know, up all night. I did not have it in me. Like you were talking about the capacity and the demand. I did not have the capacity to meet the emotional demand in that moment. Correct. I had to walk away way because that was the least offensive thing I like the least damaging thing I could do and the minute I would walk away and I literally I walked away one time and I like went in the other room I went I just screamed a little bit good and then I felt my body soften and I went back and I just sat on the floor and waited for him to come to me and like held him Mm -hmm. but permission to like you were saying in the very beginning we've got to go through the regulation like if we're not physiologically in check. We can't do the other stuff. No. Yeah. Healing comes from, like you were saying, the awareness, what I'm feeling, what I'm experiencing, and then responding to it differently than what we were programmed to do from early experiences.
1: Yeah. And often responding differently means doing less. That we're like trying to do, yes. you know, which like yes. in the end is, this was one cool thing about our research of the SET method was that both teachers and parents were reporting less exhaustion, burnout, and overwhelm at the end wow. of days because we were taking less on to fix, right? Wow. Like when we stop taking it on to fix, it actually is quite freeing. And when we're decreasing system, demands, we are decreasing demands. Yes. Wow. Yeah. which can in turn also in that sense increase our capacity and it starts with us with the awareness though you know like when mm-hmm. i am in those moments where i am triggered when i am flooded with a the reaction and i want to step in and save sage from having a hard feeling or i want to fix this thing or i want to make it go away when i'm in that space i have to notice like what is coming up for me and then how do i regulate and The regulation part in the moment, two things. One, if we can do those proactive things for capacity throughout the day, it's easier to access in the moment regulation, even small bits of like, am I eating food throughout the day? Am I drinking water? Like, have I gone to the bathroom? Like, how am I taking care of my nervous system? Then in the moment, it's a little easier to access. And then this next part I'm about to say is like, sometimes infuriating to myself that deep breaths is the fastest way to regulate your nervous system and the most effective. And it feels to me sometimes like so dumb and so small. And I'm like, no, everything I'm feeling is too big for just like a deep breath. Like, thanks, but no thanks. And then when I do it and I'm like, oh shit, it's working. Like, I am starting to shit. calm. I am starting to regulate. And like, how could something so simple be so effective? And it is. And it's accessible. We can do it anywhere. You don't need certain equipment. You don't need a kid off your body. You don't need the crying to stop. You can choose to take deep breaths wherever you are. You might even have a kid like mine who will yell at you while you're taking them to stop taking them because they are dysregulated and they're like, join me in my dysregulation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I can validate for him. Like, It feels uncomfortable when somebody else is getting calm and your body doesn't feel calm. And that's, and I'm still gonna take my deep breaths over here, you know? But like, I also like maybe unpopular opinion. I'm a trauma survivor. I was sexually assaulted when I was 14. And when I look back at that, and I look now as a parent of like, what are my goals? What do I want? What do I wanna try to avoid? What do I wanna try to make sure exists? I wouldn't take away my trauma. I would add in places for processing it. And for me as a parent now, when I look at this, it is really freeing for me to know, like, it's not my job to make sure he doesn't experience or they, she as well, don't experience hard things or frankly, don't experience trauma. That's not my job. My job is to make sure they have a toolbox and a space to process. Yes, And then my demands are lessened. (laughs) Then (laughs) I can send him to childcare and know like, it's okay. If separating right now feels hard as he builds new attachments,
0: he has a toolbox, and I'm a safe space to process this. Yeah, but it starts with us. I love that part of your book. Like, I love that your book starts with part one being about us. Because what you were saying about breathing, what I've done recently is Had to lean into that because like literally my arms have a baby in them and I have a freaking out older kid. Like, what am I going to do? You know, and I cue myself like everybody has a breath. I feel like everybody has a breath trick for those of us who really lean into the breathing piece of it. And I got it from a book called Burnout, Hmm. all about completing the stress cycle. Cool. And one of the things they list in that book is sighing is actually a stress cycle completion thing. So I will tell myself to take a breath and I'll let it out. So I'm sighing. Yeah. <laughs> like That exaggerated. And now what I've done is like, I'll use that to calm me. And then when he's having a hard time, he'll come over and eventually give me a hug as the tantrum, you know, that curve mm-hmm. is, is coming down off of it. And I'll do it again with him. And it's amazing to feel it in his body. Yeah. Because Yeah. If I'm doing the deep breaths while he's away from me. Yeah. He's the same as Sage. Like, <laughs> mom we're not doing that I can't take a breath I'm like you don't have to take a breath I'm taking a breath like, it's, mm-hmm. I did not it's actually you. not about you yeah right. know <laughs> you know the whole like trying to cue a kid to take a breath like no I don't know a child that works well with I've never met one in all of my work <laughs> Mm -mm. No, but I do it. That's (laughs) right. And the most powerful way to teach them to do it is to model it. That's it. Yeah. So in the same way that that
1: if you weren't in the practice of doing it and you were upset and someone came up and was like, just take a deep breath, I'd probably like throat punch. Like, no, not in this moment. I cannot. And now I feel so disconnected from you because you think that it feels dismissive and minimizing of like, you think that my problem isn't a big deal and I should just take a deep
0: breath and calm and we can figure it out together. And like in the moment when I'm having a hard time, that's not helpful. Could you imagine if you were like crying over washing the dishes? because you were so overwhelmed at the end of the day and your partner came up to you and told you to take a breath. We would be divorced. We would, we would be divorced. I we would be divorced. Like,
1: this is it. it. <laughs> like, go, yeah, go pack your bags. <laughs> this is where it ends. <laughs> Can't No, I can't. And we do this to kids all the time. We try to rush them out of their emotions for our comfort, really. And our book is really working on helping us understand our nervous system, understand their nervous system, and understand how to be in the discomfort of it, uh, which really is a lot of just our work. And I will say to myself like, this is my bag to carry, not his. And like that for me is like a phrase that is a in the moment reminder of, yeah, Liz, this is about you. He gets to, (laughs) we were at the fair and he, we'd like woken up from nap and usually he has a snack kind of after nap and then dinner. And He, we like got right in the car after nap and gave him a snack in the car. And he ate like none of it. He was so jazzed to go to the fair. We get to the (laughs) fair. He's doing all the things. It's so stimulating. We pause doing things to like have food. My husband and I both eat. Sage is offered food. Sage refuses food. Great. Cool. We both at this point are like sick. There's, this is coming at some point. And my best friend is there with her partner and their kids. And we're doing the thing and then all of a sudden it starts to happen mm-hmm. and I find myself trying to like get food into him yep in any way possible yep and the more i try the more he just basically flips me off and is like get out of my space i'm not hungry i not want that mama and he is slowly and then all of a sudden very fast goes into full meltdown mode. He's now laying on this grass patch where there's picnic tables and families enjoying meals together. And he's screaming at Zach and I to go away, move away, leave me alone, sobbing, screaming on the ground. And anytime we go close, he just keeps getting farther away. And he's literally like as close as he can get to other people's picnic table. So he's like laying next and I'm like, I'm so sorry. Sorry, you can't enjoy your meal because my child is fully losing it underneath you. And in this moment, my my best friend leaned over and she was like, so what's the name of the book again? Uh, Where do I get that? (laughs) And I was like, suck it. This is the reality, right? Like, this is part of it. And this is where like everything inside of me, especially locally, like there are definitely people walking by who know who I am and who follow us on Instagram and who are like doing this work whatever. Relatable. And (laughs) And here's my child screaming at me to go away, laying on the ground. And there are so many parts of me that want to make it stop, that are embarrassed. They're like, oh, he should be able to tap into tools and regulate and cotton, whatever. And I have to keep coming back to, that's your bag to carry, not his. He's dysregulated right now. He's allowed to be dysregulated. I'm showing up as a present parent in the best way that I can right now. And eventually we'll hit a point where either he will be ready to accept food, which is what his body needs for regulation, or we will leave the fair. And at some point he will be ready to accept food, right? Like that's gonna come. And right now we're in a waiting period, yeah. but
0: everything inside of me wanted to yeah. make it stop. When you're talking this happens. This has happened to me in public numerous times, right? Yeah. Like I'm I'm on your nine of this. Like this happens. And I, you know, same thing. Like people recognize me, like, oh, you're Kaylee. I'm like, oh. And my kid's freaking out right now. But this just happened the other night with my six year old. And it was thank goodness it was just in our neighborhood, like in our driveway. So it was just the neighbors looking on seeing sure. my kid freak out. My husband was trying to get him inside to eat. He was running away. Like same thing. Go inside. He was overtired, sick. Sure. I didn't want to come inside. And so my husband gets really frustrated and he's like, you've got to go get him. And I'm inside with the, you know, baby and dinner and all that. And I looked at him and I joked. I was like, oh, you want me to go get him? And he was like, I'm done. I can't. And I was like, because it's my job. I was like, you just think I have a magic switch. And I'm like, fine. So I went out there, but it was literally like just sitting and just saying like, okay, bud, you know, and he actually went down. We had a puddle that had, we've had a lot of rain. There was a puddle and tadpoles because in Florida, it's summer still. There's no fall here, FYI, <laughs> opposite of Vermont. I saw him and he was in the puddle and that was calming himself down. Now It was sludgy, nasty, gross water that most of the time I'd be like, oh my God, please don't touch that. Like, you tell know? me how you got sick. Yeah. <laughs> <When I'm> like, <laughs> um, and my hands go in the mouth. Oh, I'm going to vomit. Totally. <laughs> but real. it calmed him enough to then accept and then it was like, okay, now we can get inside. And it was, you know, me taking him in and like offering to wash his hair because he Mm -hmm. was too overwhelmed and overtired to like wash his hair. But that took a lot. And that was my husband and I, my husband tapping out and me tapping in and I tap out all the time. Yeah. You know, so I think that's a really good point to like leave parents is if you have a co-parent, if you have another adult around, maybe it's not another parent, but maybe you do have some help at some point, or just knowing that if you're alone, it's okay to tap out and just As long as they're safe, I got to take a minute and just like let them play in the tadpole water for a little bit longer because I can't do this right now. And that's okay.
1: When I've been solo, I've tapped out to his binky. I've tapped out to his levy. I've tapped out to a screen where I'm just like, I'm going to pop on Daniel Tiger because I am going to lose it and I need a minute and you can go ahead and like, I know that it'll be a temporary numbing situation for him where I get a break and I can breathe for a second and then I can come back and respond with intention or more intention. But yeah, tap out to whatever you can. I think screens get such a bad rap. And it's like, if you're using this as a tool so that you can show up as a better parent, a million cheers.
0: I was gonna say, we could do a whole separate podcast episode on this topic because I tell parents all the time, I'm like, you wanna talk about like toxic brain energy or whatever, like what is more stressful to the brain? Screen stimulation or a raging parent? Correct. And if I have to choose between one of those things, I'm going to choose the screen every time yeah. because that means right. I can get a break and regulate myself. But I think this comes back to this idea that like, if we were yes. quote, doing all the right things, I wouldn't need to
1: tap into that. I would just be a regulated parent. And it's just such bullshit that like we all cycle in out in and out of dysregulation. And so mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. no one on planet earth and I think it's a huge problem with social media, especially like parenting mm-hmm. expert influencer, which like we I fall into this category and I hate it. Cause I'm like, yep. what I really want you to know is, Yes, sometimes I tap out to Daniel Tiger because I'm not regulated all the time because no one is. And I'm doing a crap ton of this work, right? Like, and that, they're like, you can be doing a lot of things and still you're going to cycle in and out of dysregulation. You're going to cycle in and out of connection and disconnection with your kids. It's all normal and it's all okay. And what's key is that we are looking at like, if I'm living in a state of distress or dysregulation, where do I decrease those? Demands, increase capacity so that I don't have to live constantly in that state or my yeah. kids, same thing, don't have to live right. constantly in that state. But to cycle in and out of it is how our nervous system works.
0: And you know what? And sometimes decreasing demands and increasing capacity means making some really hard decisions and are drastically changed. It could be as simple as bringing a a second toothbrush, buying a second toothbrush. It could mean that like, we're not, my kids want to play five sports and I've had to say, no, we're not going to be busy every day after school. And even if they want to be, I cannot chauffeur around with an infant in the car because I know that would dysregulate my, bring my nervous system on edge so quickly. It'll it's also, right.
1: for them, it'll decrease capacity right. for them and increase demand. And it's not their job totally. to know that yet, right? Like, right. that's where we step in to support the regulation. And Mrs. Sage will now say, like, I'm going to feel disappointed, like, if it, we're going to do something that he doesn't want. <laughs> and I will, my response is literally like, that's okay, buddy. I feel disappointed sometimes, too. And that's it here, right? Like, they probably will feel disappointed when you say, hey. We're going to pick one sport to play at a time, or we're going to have two after school activities you get to choose. It's yeah. my job as a parent to make sure that you have enough time to play and not have a schedule in place. And it's your job to pick the two things that you want to do. Yeah. And they're allowed to be disappointed with that. We don't set boundaries for kids. And they're like, oh my gosh, thank you. I can't wait to follow that. I'm so glad
0: you did that for me. Like, that's not going to be the reaction on a thing. No, no, it's, it's not a thing. And we don't even like that either. You know, when that kind of stuff pops up for us, when someone or something prevents us from doing something we want, that is, you know, it's just so interesting not to bring my um part of the little processing over the weekend. My six year old said to me, mommy, you told me that he would be in the hospital for one or two nights and then we would you would bring him home and you were gone a long time or he was gone a long time. Yeah. And I said, you're right. He was that was really unexpected to mommy, just like it was unexpected to you. And so I think, you know, so much of this is like, if I could summarize this conversation, it's just normalizing the human experience. Correct. For us and for our children.
1: Yeah. And I think, yeah, literally for us too. Well, I was going
0: to say, tell us because this is what your book encapsulates and I'm so excited for people. They're going to be able to get their hands on it probably around the time this podcast drops. So tell us like who, what, where, when, why, how the highlights (laughs) so they can get it.
1: (laughs) Um, The book is called Tiny Humans, Big Emotions and it's wherever books are sold also in a number of countries globally and the audiobook I read so if you are like me and like to consume books in that fashion uh, you can snag the audiobook and it's out October 10th but if you pre Order, then it'll the audiobook on October 10th will hit audible and it'll ship to you right away when she drops on the 10th. And you can follow along at seed.and.so on Instagram, S E W for so. And I have a podcast, Voices of Your Village, uh, that you'll be hearing from Kaylee on
0: in a little bit. We're We have some episodes all batched out because I'm growing a human. I'm so excited for you and your family and your business. Like just what an amazing time. So I greatly appreciate you coming on and having this conversation. I know how precious your time is right now because you are just in a precious season of life. So thank you very much.
1: Likewise, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for hanging out with me.